I've actually had, uh, ordered a beer at a bar and had somebody recognise my voice, which is a little bit worrying. But um, it's a bit scary. Yeah, but anyway. Um, Did you take that, twenty minutes to, to, to order that? Explain that must which beer do you wanted and why. <laughs> it was like the scene when Harry met Sally. <laughs> it's not the orgasm scene, the ordering scene. You know. You know anyway. Thanks to Cryo Malt. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me as my co-host, as he always does on his own, from our Brisbane studios, it's Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Pete. Um, mate, it wasn't meant to be on my own. We'd uh, teed up a guest today, but I've been battling uh, a bit of a cold all week that fully flowered today, so I'd, uh, we were going to have um, Zara from previously from uh, BrewDog um, join us just to talk about uh, the state of beer and have heard... Um, were the insights, but I thought I would spare her my sniffling, coughing um, germiness um, for today. Oh, but you didn't care about the listeners. Anyway, let's plow oh, on. In this week's episode of Good Brews Week, we will be looking at labelling. Uh, we'll take a little bit of a look at um, some other news. There hasn't been a big news week, to be fair, but we will follow up on um, the story of... Um, we'll put a bit of sugar on the, uh, the story <laughs> that, that you wrote about Heineken. Um, alcohol in, uh, alcohol out, sugar in for Heineken zero zero, um, which we discussed on the last podcast that we did, but then the, the, the story broke after that, um, and attracted quite a bit of interest and quite a few comments and perhaps a bit, a little bit of dissension, uh, amongst the ranks. So we'll touch on that. And then we will very quickly, uh, we might even give Matt, I think a bit of a teaser cause you and I had a, a great chat with John Hall from the States, New Jersey native who uh, is the was the editor of All About Beer magazine. We have a good little chat about that, uh, but is now... Uh, He's the senior editor at uh, Craft Beer and Brewing magazine in, in, in the US. And kicking goals with that one. Really interesting uh, chat, and so we might just sort of tease our listeners a little bit about that uh there is one other story that i've forgotten what was the other what was the third one matt we were looking at the labeling guidelines launched to assist brewers and also western australian uh politicians uh jumping on hopefully good craft beer that's it ross lewis great article two from two he gets a mention um so let's start off with uh labeling this is an interesting one for me. Um, so this week, the um, Independent Beer Association uh, sent out some labelling guidelines to its members um, to, I guess, assist brewers in knowing their legal obligations in terms of um, labelling beer correctly so that they tick all the boxes and keep all the uh, governors happy. On one hand, a couple of people weighed in and said, oh, look, it's not that hard. But then if you look at how... If you look at the evidence on the shelves, I beg to differ, you know, and people do beg to differ. There are, there are a whole lot of mandatory labelling guidelines, and without those, you're essentially in breach of, you know, legislation, and you won't yeah. get ranged at Dan Murphy's. And if you speak to the guys at Dan Murphy's, um, our good friend Dermot O'Mortar, um, he'll tell you that, you know, the number of people who rock up uh, wanting to get their beer arranged and they just don't have the minimum guidelines ticked off. And to be fair, some of them some of them also will say, oh, but I've got all the information there. It's like, yeah, but it's there's what you don't realise is that there are minimum, um, you know, like uh, font size um, protocols and, and all that sort of stuff as well. Absolutely. And, you know, as it was explained to me or as a couple of brewers have said, you know, a lot of guys... 
I don't want to put it too bluntly, but I will. You know, a, a lot of people who have entered the industry um, haven't come from inside the industry and have had a certain level of amateurishness um, in the way that they've approached uh, things like labelling and stuff like that. It's almost been an afterthought. Um, and they haven't gone back and read the guidelines. And quite often they pick up somebody else's bottle and mimic what's on there, figuring, well, you know. They, they must have got it right. They so must now, have got it right. Now I'm getting it right, yeah. And so you do see a lot of perpetuation of erroneous labelling. Um, and, you know, and then there are also a whole lot of other things just about, you know, naming. And we, we've seen a, a recent case where the naming of a beer um, went disastrously. And, uh, you know, there, there are some suggestions around that. And certainly Dan Murphy's or Endeavour Drinks have guidelines for labelling that don't necessarily include the mandatory guidelines, but do include responsible, you know, responsible labelling guidelines. And they're things that if you ever want to have your beer ranged, you need to be aware of. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it, it's a really great initiative um, by the IBA. They've worked very hard. Anyone who wants to say it's simple just needs to see sort of how much um, checking and double-checking has been involved um, by the IBA in getting this right, making it simple, and giving brewers a really useful one-stop uh, guide um, to getting your beer labels right, um, and, and that's a great initiative of the, uh, you know, of the IBA. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's it's one of those things I think comes up um, in some quarters reasonably frequently as a criticism of the IBA. Oh, you know, it's, it, it, there's the conference and there's the um, the awards, but um, you know, what are they doing? Well, this is the kind of thing I guess that. Um, uh, as you say, it's been in planning for quite a while, and it's good to see. Um, just you know, simple one-page kind of documents that brewers can then keep reference and and know that you know their industry support body is actually out there doing something for them. So well done to the IBA. We should you know pat on the back where it's where it's uh, warranted. And and actually, just to deviate from there slightly, I think uh, last week I was in Townsville when we recorded, and just after we recorded, there was a media release out from the Brewers Association, which is the uh, association that represents uh, Cooper's, uh, CUB and Lion, uh, celebrating the uh, recommendation that the pregnancy um, label be mandatory. Yep. And uh, having a bit of a swipe at, uh, you know, I read it as they were having a bit of a swipe at craft brewers who hadn't adopted the label. And uh, the Brewers Association made a big thing of saying how we've adopted this voluntary thing and it's a no-brainer. Um, and, you know, other people, you know, just don't get it that they haven't put it on. Um, and, you know, it, it's a, look, I don't want to make any... Um, light of that issue around you know drinking while you're pregnant and uh um you know anything around that and i think you know it, it, whatever the medical guidelines are the industry should be supporting 100 percent. but it was just interesting to see the way that they use that to you know as a bit of a um pat on the back to you know dislocating their shoulders to pat themselves on the back whilst having a bit of a swipe at um others in the industry when and saying you know there's no reason why you shouldn't do it it's a no-brainer when this is the same association that you know five or six years ago wrote a very uh, detailed opposition to country of origin guidelines um on labels because they did they said that it would save consumers a lot of money people not having to relabel and that you know it was much more important having a um you know much better having a targeted 
information campaign than us putting it on our guidelines. There's still a bit of us and them in there. Well, there's a bit of us and them, but just that whole idea, you know, it, it, to me that, that showed that they're so desperate to put this on because it gives them, it, it's a bit of window dressing where they can talk about how um, yeah. responsible they are and how moral and ethical they are. And, and they also are shit scared of having mandatory requirements on them. And, you know, the, the, the more they kick and drag the heels over something that doesn't matter anyway, because let's face it, a big part of their market isn't um, pregnant women. So they're quite happy to put that on um, and, you know, give themselves huge, huge kudos about it. But people yeah. genuinely do care about country of origin labeling and things like that. Yeah, that's it. So anyway, and, and, but, and at the end of the day, there's, there's only so much real estate that you get on a, uh, you know, a bottle label, you know, oh, neck so, tag. But, but that's, that's a whole other issue. That's, that's not what they were arguing. Do we need to, you know, do not drink 10 of these and then, you know, coward punch some bloke in the street. Do, do not drink the bottle and then bash one up your spadger. I mean, what else do we need on labels, really? We're getting a little bit nanny state. Nanny state's not actually a helpful um, description um, around this because, you know, it, um, fetal alcohol syndrome is actually a real thing. Um, you know, it is actually a problem uh, in the community and it's one that we're becoming uh, increasingly aware of. Yeah, but, but not something necessarily that government needs to be... Um... I, I think that I think it's exactly the sort of thing that the government should mm-hmm. be uh, involved in, but is putting a label on the bottle going to stop the people who are... I, I think, yeah, the decision's been made by then, isn't it? Yeah, it, and, and, it was, and it was at the encouragement of the Brewers Association. So, you know, they were basically cheering this one on because it lets them do something that gives them the cover of corporate responsibility um, that they then don't have to, you know, that you know, gives them leave for all of the other stuff that they don't want to do and they pick and choose what issues that they want to be socially and corporately responsible about. Yeah. Speaking of corporately responsible, um, you had a good chat with somebody representing Heineken after the, the story wish. broke? <laughs> or, or did you just get the... Uh, Tumbleweeds and crickets, and uh, we'll put you on to somebody who knows. No, look, and you're referring which, to which, to be uh, fair, has happened quite a few times before. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, and you're you're referring to the Heineken Zero um, story uh, that I sort of flagged. I think it's I think it's actually made it into three um, podcasts so far. Um, this is the third podcast because that is how long I've been trying to. Um, speak to Heineken about it. And, you know, look, you get a media release and you know that most publications just take the media release, they take out, you know, they, they publish it, they rearrange the uh, sentences and publish it without asking a single question uh, because they take advertising, you know, they're short-staffed and they're basically not about telling a story. They, they're just sort of going, oh, we'll pop this out. Now, to me, um, you know, it, it's quite an interesting story Um a, that the big brewers are really sort of targeting this no-alcohol space, which is a pioneering... There have been a few around, but it's never really been a big thing. Yeah. But secondly, the process um, for getting it, because one of the things that has always killed low-alcohol beer is the inability to get flavour, you know, is the challenges around flavour, um, because the processes can either actively harm beer... So the processes for removing alcohol can either actively harm beer or um, it can remove flavour as well as alcohol. But then you've also got the issue of a big part of flavour is the mouthfeel of a beer, of the perception of flavour is the mouthfeel of beer, and also alcohol. Alcohol is a flavour enhancer. Um, and to me, as a beer writer, it's, an, it's interesting to talk about 
the marketing side, but also the process side um, and how you've, you know, technology has gotten around some of these problems. So quite naturally, you send an email off going, thanks for this. Could we talk to the person you've put up as a spokesman? We did that. He came back and said, it's a unique filtration process. And straight away, I thought, oh, that's interesting because listeners will know that I got Scotty Vincent on the uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago because they released their beer. And, uh, you know, I said to CB, hey, um, really interested in how you make it. Can I chat to the brewer? Scotty came on, you know, straight away, told us all about it, you know, talked about the um, evaporation columns that it was done under, why they do it, how they do it. Bob's your uncle, no troubles at all. Um, And so suddenly to be told that there's this other process that Heineken are using, I thought, well, that's really interesting. I did a bit of research, followed up, and so I said, oh, look, you know, really interested. I want to find out a little bit more about this um, process and why you chose that process and what it is about that process that is um, better than the vacuum distillation process a lot of other people use. A lot of back and forth, couldn't get answers, got a whole lot of, we gently remove the alcohol, you know, there's a whole lot of, oh, we use the Schink Millman process or whatever it is. And when I Googled that, to find, again, just trying to find out, um, sort of researched into it, it turns out that the process that they told me is actually a, uh, a vacuum distillation process, which is different to the... So, you know, then I'm trying to get answers about that. And the whole time I'm asking, by the way, I noticed that in your um, nutrition informational panel, um, you've got, you know, I think 4.8 grams of uh, carbohydrates listed, which is a significant... 4.6. 4.6, which is a significant yep. increase um, uh, over, you know, even regular Heineken. But also, um, 1.3 grams of that is listed as sugar, um, which means, you know, to, to my understanding, carbohydrates and starches are long-chain sugars. These are simple sugars. Now, as we know, because we've been told um, by Beer the Beautiful Truth, sugars are fermented out during the fermentation process. So I just said, look, you know, what is the process? Why are these there? You've also listed natural flavor um, on the ingredients. You don't see that every day. Spent seven or eight days just asking fairly simple questions to try and, you know, explain to people who might be interested what it's all about. And just you get nothing back. Well, I think, too, the key to this, Matt, and and the the comments certainly bear this out, is that a lot of people assume alcohol-free means that that it's sugar-free. That's because they've that, been that, told. That to that, me was the biggest surprise. That yeah, that that, that um, it, it's not clear that well actually this has got what, what does it work out to four? It's about, about four, four teaspoons. Teaspoon, of- yeah, four grams roughly of um, sugar. Um, and I'm just a, you know, so I don't know you know, carbs, but it's it, it's if you think you have sixteen grams of carbs, nearly sixteen grams of carbs, that's about four teaspoons of sugar, um, which is the only so- comparison I made. Per, per unit, so per 330 mil. Per 330 mils, yeah. Depending on where you stand, that's not terribly a lot. If you're looking at a can of Coke, it's like 16 teaspoons of sugar. But as we know, no one's drinking Coke anymore um, because of the sugar. Uh, and the other thing too is that people, I know you and I, you know, that cut sugar out of, you know, coffee, coffee. Um, for example. It, you know, either trimmed it down from a couple of teaspoons that we were drinking out know, 10 years ago. Um, and that's because that, that's the one thing that, we all feel we can control. You look at, um, you know, all these articles that, that tend to come out um, showing you where all the hidden sodium and hidden sugars are in breakfast cereals and God knows what else. Um, at, at, like I say, as, as flavour enhancers or whatever it might be, um, that we kind of feel, well, this is good, this is something I can do every, every now and then if I want to drink 
no alcohol beer, at least I'm kind of looking after myself, maybe I'm not. Absolutely. And, you know, look, it, 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 it's not, I mean, let's put it in perspective. There was a, like, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, there, there was a strident note to that or there was a sort of declamatory note about that headline because yep. I couldn't get an answer. You know, it was, I, I wanted people to read the article. That's the way to do it. And it was a hook to the article. It wasn't misleading because there is actually sugars. The fact that Heineken wouldn't explain those sugars, that's their decision. But um, from the information that was available, it, it was perfectly correct. But you, you, you're right, Prof. I mean, I don't know anyone um, who puts a tablespoon of sugar into their coffee anymore because they're trying to control that. And when you look at the combined element of the marketing for a beer like Heineken Zero, you know, with Heineken 3, they were told you can have it all. You can have low carbs, low alcohol and um, an active lifestyle. And it was targeted at people who are fit and, you know, are very conscious about carbs. This beer is coming out and they're running a whole lot of um, campaigns around you can drink this you know when you're driving you can drink this after the gym um, it's an isotonic sports drink um, and which by and large it is but what they're not explaining is that there are these sugars and when they spend millions of dollars celebrating the removal of a gram per hundred liters uh, per, per hundred mils um, with their mid-strength beers they, they, you know, the big brewers and the low carb beer makers are the ones that have um, actually created the interest in sugar that this article is about. So yeah, look, I mean, it's it is factually accurate. It sort of tells the story of the beers. It sort of tells the story. The, the only thing it doesn't tell is what the natural flavouring is in the beer, how it gets there. What, what's your guess? What's your best guess? What is what is natural? Fla- is it natural beer flavour? So is it like malt extract or? Um, well, again, that, that's all I can... But that, that would still add sugar, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, so, so they, they they tell everybody something a little bit different. So they talk about a double brewing process. They talk Eau about de a, um, distillation um, from reading about the, the, the process, you know, reading old brewing, brewing textbooks. Um, you know, post-distillation, they can capture the, uh, the, the flavour compounds from the distillation column, put it through uh, the rectification yeah, yeah. Yep, column. Yep. But, then, but that's post-fermentation. So... You know, I wouldn't imagine that those are sugars um, because you distill the beer post-fermentation. Get rid of the sugars. The simple yeah. sugars would, would have been removed. So mm. unless there's a double brewing process, and quite often they will brew a second beer um, and blend that together. Um, so that's, I can only presume that's what they are. But uh, there's either some wort added or something like that that's got unfermented um, malt-based sugars in there but they're still simple sugars. Um, and if there is a simple explanation, Heineken wasn't giving it to us. Um, you know, given Heineken is distributed by Line, I contacted Line, um, they wouldn't uh, provide any answer. Um, and, you know, they're the ones that have spent millions of dollars talking about Beer the Beautiful Truth. And, you know, Beer the Beautiful Truth was informed because 87% of people wanted told us they wanted to know more about what was in their beer. But we're not going to tell them. We're going to run a... Actually, just as a bit of a fun exercise, Prof, go to what is now Beer It's Beautiful. Beer It's... Yeah. And uh, there's a section, Facts About Beer. And uh, go to the section. There's a section that says, How is low-carb beer made? Um, what do you think would be one thing that would be... If people want to know how low-carb beer is made, what's one thing that you think brewers might... that um, consumers might want to know? I don't know, Matt. What is it? Well, I, I, I don't know, but... I don't know. You, you wouldn't think that 
just a basic description of the regular brewing process would sit under how low-carb beers are made because, I mean, they, they don't even go through the nonsense of saying it's brewed for longer um, to, to reduce the carbs. But, you know, it, it, it's one of the great comparisons between, um, you know, craft means nothing these days as we've talked about ad, ad infinitum. But if you go to a craft brewer or a small independent brewer or you know, just a small brewer and say, so how do you make your brewed IPA? They'll go, oh, mate, I chuck some enzymes in it because that breaks down the last of the carbs, um, which gives a really dry thing, you know, no shame, no embarrassment. Um, I, I might have thought that when the big brewers were talking about how you make a low-carb beer, you would in, at least include a fairly simple paragraph. Not all of these long-chain sugars are broken down, so we get a little bit of natural help from enzymes to break that down. But they just don't want to. And the only thing that I can think of is beers like Heineken, um, which, you know, when you're talking about vacuum distillation and uh, rectification, um, it sounds kind of industrial to me. Um, and I think when their media release talks about how they've crafted the finest no-alcohol beer industry and craft just don't go together anyway we've spent far too long talking about this prof um you can read the article tell me what you think and particularly like any brewers um because i've copped a bit from one brewer in particular talking about how you know what terrible journalism it is um and the journalism can only be as good as the people who are willing the to responses go on the record. you get yeah, yeah. Uh, that becomes the story we've we've, we've said this a thousand times if you, you know, just come you. out and just say you know what i don't know i don't know i'll find out and i'll get back to you and then you know say yeah you know what we, we might have actually you know undersold this or uh, you know put a bit of gst on it but, but they don't even need to say that they just need to sort of say well look those sugars are you know it's a natural byproduct um you know rather than just say natural flavoring it's a natural byproduct of the brewing process. We had a little yep. bit, um, they, you know, they're, they're slightly more. It's still, and, and at the end of the day, it's still only 66 calories. So if you're worried about weight gain. You don't need to do a lot to burn off 66 calories. 66 calories. It, 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 it's not a lot. And that was never the point. But the point is that you can't on one hand tell people sugar is evil or by implication sugar is evil or pander to their perceptions that sugar is evil by trumping um, the uh lack of carbs in your beer and then you know not be willing to discuss um the the, the carbs that are in, an, in another type of beer we'll have plenty of um listeners out there who will be able to uh, uh perhaps fill us in uh, fill the gaps uh for our other listeners on um the uh issues brought up in that possibly over a beer Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Uh, somebody else who was discussing stuff over a beer, um, the uh, West Australia Brewers Association have had a bit of a, a win, and Ross Lewis um, wrote a cracking story about headed uh, Polly wants a cracker of a beer. Uh, well, that was that. Yeah, he wrote. Uh, I think Polly wants a beer or something like that. But you know, the headline writers, bunch of yeah, fuckwits. Yeah. Yeah. I'll claim credit for that one if anyone wants to <laughs> criticise it. Um, but yeah, no. Look, I it, thought it was good. 
Oh, no, it was but a great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So it's so it started from a, a Twitter exchange between uh, Western Australian politicians uh, chatting about the the beer available in the which has now been deleted. So I couldn't even go back and see what the tweet said. Um, the original. Oh, okay. And as with anything, just like. You know, why won't Heineken answer the question? Why was it tw- the tweet deleted? So I'm wondering whether he was saying that uh, Swan trumpeting Swan Export or something like that, even though it comes from Adelaide. Um, but yes, apparently uh, Swan oh, Emu Export um, is now considered a local beer icon um, after the Swan Empire that once ruled the state. Emu Export is now a brand under the line banner and made in Adelaide. It sits alongside Corona on the Parliament House dining room beer fridge. But yeah, so there was a bit of uh, Wobber, which has been very vocal of late about a whole lot of things, um, including the independent seal and a few other things. But they, uh, you know, said, why don't you put local craft beers on? Um, and there's apparently a West Australia Job Act that insists all government agencies strive to procure local products for goods and services to help boost employment across the state. Um, and uh, yeah, why should craft beer be any different? There are some crackingly good uh, lagers there, um, you know, even, uh, you know, one from Feral, it, it doesn't have to be independent, it's uh, being manufactured in the state, um, they make their, uh, what, what's their local, I think it's just called local lager. It's called it? local lager, I yeah. Think, yeah, from memory. Um, you know, put it on, and, uh, you know, it's, Western Australia's joining a couple of other states, we had it in Queensland recently, um, you know, it, it, it's really, really exciting to see that, Brewers are finally starting to get the attention of politicians, or or, or politicians yeah. are now starting to see that there may be some votes in this here beer thing. I don't know how the the system works, but I'm guessing that they don't pay for the, the like the beer is is served. To, you know, presumably it's there's a catering group or someone who does the um the ordering and all that sort of thing. The beers go out there, and you know the pollies just you know grab a beer with their with their meal or whatever. So my guess is that they couldn't give a fat rat's clacker. Um, oh, the you know, politicians don't have to pay for it. The people of the no, state pay for it. That's what I mean. Yeah. So presumably, you know, the people would prefer that their politicians uh, support local. So no-brainer, really. Well, and, and there's that whole thing of signalling, you know. Um, when you're sort of drinking um, the beer from where you'd rather be, you're basically saying, well, I don't want to be here. <laughs> it, that's kind of it, isn't it? That probably leads us nicely into the mailbag because – uh, Gage Roads is perhaps a beer that um, the politicians in Western Australia might like to uh, enjoy. And apparently their share price is, is um, well, let, let, should we go to the mailbag? We, no, absolutely go to the mailbag. It's your <laughs> show, Prof. I, I, uh, I've run away with it from time to time. but it's Hi, Matt and Prof. Thanks for the continued excellent podcasting. Um, lest you think I only write to nitpick, I did give you a five... Oh, he was the one who gave us the five-star Statler and Waldorf review on iTunes, and he was surprised to hear that his moniker was all the good nicknames are taken. I have no idea where that came from. He obviously didn't put in a nickname, and there that might have been an auto one, which oh, you're just okay. taking away from a very clever uh, nickname there, uh, yeah. James. Uh, anyway, some feedback on Bruce News Week number 189. Uh, Matt. I know you usually preface shares discussion with a lack of expertise, but comparing Brew and Gage Roads in terms of their share price, 
both around the 12 cent mark, uh, is like comparing apples and oranges. I was tempted to try some play on words with citrus flavoured IPAs, but thought better. Thank you, James. Good call. Uh, it's not just the share price, but also the number of shares on issue. So multiplied out, they give you the market capitalization. In this case, there are 148 million shares issued in brew for a market capitalization of 14.8 million. Although it is a fairly thinly traded stock, which uh, averaging $3,100 turnover over the last four weeks. Gage Roads, on the other hand, has 1.01 billion shares on issue. Sounds a bit like Austin Powers. That's James's words, not mine. For a market capitalization at its current price of 11 cents of 116 million. So bigger almost by a factor of 10. The average turnover in the stock is $160,000. Um, so does that make more sense to everyone? Uh, no, and I, I actually, I, prof, I hate to nitpick James. Just my head in. I'll go on. I, I, I hate to nitpick James. Um, Return serve. Go. There are and, and, and look again. I I, I uh, was a little bit worried when I got this because uh, you know I, I tend to overexplain because I don't like to be told I'm wrong um, and I don't know a lot about shares. But in this case, there are um, up until this week there were 116. Uh, so where is it? In this case, there are 148 million shares issued in brew for a market capitalization of 14.8 million. So there were 148 million shares that were sold um, at the uh, IPO, um, which was roughly 10% of the company. Um, uh, in fact, it's a little bit. I think it's about 15%. But there were 600 odd thousand in escrow that are owned by. Um, the uh, Kent Grogan, um, and as part of the listing rules, he didn't have them. They were in escrow for, I think, 12 months or 18 months until he could sell them. They actually came back on the market. He was uh, allowed to sell them from this week. Um, so uh, in total, there's about 800 million shares. Um, so the market cap, I, I, and again, th this is where I don't know whether you calculate the market cap on the shares that were actually publicly available um, now Kent's 600 million are publicly available as well and he is free to trade them so you may well see um, given that he's oh, sorry he's got about 48 million or so so he's got about 4.8 million dollars worth of shares I think if it calculates anyway I don't yeah um, so anyway <laughs> so yes, I don't James, know anything about shares but I'm willing to challenge a lawyer but again <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure when, when James says there are 148 million shares um Oh, you okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there, there are actually a lot more. They have been in escrow, so they haven't been public. I'm not sure what that means in terms of when you use the term market cap, which has a special meaning. There's a percentage that have been held to the side that are subject to a um, uh, what do you call it when you can buy shares? Um, you to buy oh, shares. yeah, yeah. Uh, options. Options. Sorry, yes, options. That the company holds their options, which aren't included in that 148 million shares. Then there's also 48 million, uh, 480 million that uh, Kent's himself. That if he decides to, he's applied this week to put them on the the share market out of escrow. Um, if he decides to sell them, um, he can. So I, I, my way of thinking is that they are part of the market capitalization or the market. Uh, listing. Um, I, don't, I don't know, but James, uh, yeah, happy happy to, to be wrong on that one. But that's how I came up with that figure. And uh, you know, I would never actually compare um, Brew's business with uh, Gay Road's business. The rest of James's letter. Another nitpick on Matt. 
<laughs> the acronym MAT usually means moving annual total rather than mean annual total. It gives you the total 12-month figure at a point in time. Yeah, and that was actually just a cock-up. That was just a misspeak on my part. Oh, cool. Mate, well, you know I'll what it is? I can't remember people's ah, names. Of course. Oh, you know, I, I can't remember your name half the time. So, uh, And he finishes with, given no correspondence seems complete without a cook limit reference, I had a look at the Bats and Balls pod- podcast that Prof recommended and saw that they provide a table of contents for the podcast telling you how long into the podcast, minutes and seconds, the different discussions are in case you want to skip straight to that discussion. But at more than two hours and therefore greater than three times the cook limit, that's far more necessary than your new slimline timing, which we are... We've got six minutes before we're uh, at the cook limit. So thank you very much. That's from James Omond. Thank, thank you very much, James. Don't, and I didn't mean to sound defensive. I was, it was just more, again, over-explaining myself. <laughs> Beautifully done. That's the mailbag for the week. Well, Joe's listening to this because she's got to edit this nonsense. Um, it, it, we might sort of ask Joe about the feasibility of creating a, uh, a, a an index or a table of con- contents. Um, yeah, yeah. With just like a little uh, little marker at the, you know, say like um, a little line that goes from W to W, something like that. Oh, or an just MW. To the start point. Yeah, you, then you just to indicate, it. you know, when you waffle. Um, now, <laughs> that's it for, uh, we don't have any iTunes uh, moving along uh, reviews this week. So please uh, jump on your favorite podcast um, platform and uh, let other people know that you think we're, we're okay. And, and, and we did have a, a donation this week. I, I don't know whether people like to have their names read out, um, but we, we did have somebody come on and sponsor the podcast, um, you know, make a one-off uh, sponsorship, which is kind of like a subscription to the Thank podcast. You Thank you very, very much for that. Um, all of it helps to you know, pay for the fine editing that uh, Joe does and, and other things. And if you do like the show, you know, look, if, if you want to help, help a, a brother out, um, <laughs> well, Matt and also Matt and I are also we're we're saving our pocket money uh, to try to get a couple of our um, very popular roadshows um, back on the road. So can we can we talk much about that? Yeah, well, we're, well, look, we could talk about. You we've know, had so you... many invitations to get over to to WA, and that's something that we really do need to do. And it's it's just a case of I guess finding um, an excuse to get over there. We're heading to Sydney. Uh, for Sydney Beer Week? Yes, we, we've got a discussion panel. Um, <laughs> have good beer weeks had their day? Um, <laughs> Do you reckon we'll be welcome back after that? It, it, it's more just about airing, you know, the, the number of brewers who, you know, they, they get through event season, and event season used to maybe be good beer week, um, or, you know, and there are now, every state yeah, has a beer week. And the first couple of weeks of summer, yeah. Yeah, and, and every state has a beer week, um, you know, there are, you know, Publicans festivals. are doing tap takeovers. There yep. are you know, one and two day beer festivals um, that pretty much goes. And one of the things that always made those special was having brewers there. And it's just not possible to have brewers there. And you know, if you've just got people, uh, if you've just got tents um, with people pouring beers, how does that differ from a bar? You know, do brewers get good value from from these things? Once upon a time, when there were very few taps pouring independent craft beer. Um, it was a great way for brewers to get out and create awareness for their product. These days, when you're one of 30 or 40 brewers pouring beers, um, you know, are you getting brand value? Are you getting brand recognition? Or is it just costing you money? These are all the things that we wanted to talk about. And, uh, yeah, you know, we want- and how brewers decide, um, you know, where they're going to um, sort of distribute their, um, their resources. Absolutely, and, and conversely. For, for best return and all that sort of thing. And punters, you know, the, the punters get a bit overloaded. But, um, our Sydney 
based listeners or those who will be in Sydney for uh, Good Beer Week, can they uh, jump on and get tickets or can they just turn up? What, what, what's the deal? Jump on the Sydney Beer Week uh, website and it's all listed there. I think it's free. It's, it's, it's um, being presented by our good friends at Kickstar. They're um, putting this one on. Link in the show notes, people. Possibility that we might be able to hang around for a little while and uh, you and I are going to jump in a combi van and perhaps do a bit of a, a, a Canberra tour. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be in Tuesday, so we might head, hoping to head to, I'm just waiting to hear back from a couple of brewers about whether they're going to be in Canberra, because it seems silly to go all the way to Canberra when they're in West they're all in Sydney. when they're all in yeah. Sydney, so just confirming that, um, but uh, otherwise it'd still be worth going um, at some stage, so Canberra's definitely on our list, we want to get to WA, South Australia is one that we also haven't done prof, so um, if wishes were horses, we would jump on and ride to those three places uh, very, very shortly. Well, speaking of horses, uh, it's a nice segue, Matt. It's time to uh, smack this thing on the rump and um, put it back in the barn. Um, thanks very much to all our listeners. Thank you very much, particularly to all our uh, supporters and sponsors. Um, and it, it, look, it's just great to, you know, speaking of beer festivals, but, you know, whenever I'm at them, just people coming up and just saying, oh, you know, I don't sort of send letters or I don't, uh, you know, write emails or whatever, but listen to your, your stuff when I can. Um, it's really great. Thanks for what you're doing for the industry. So that's very much appreciated. I've actually had uh, ordered a beer at a bar and had somebody recognise my voice, which is a little bit worrying, but... Um, it's a bit scary. Yeah, but anyway... Um, did you okay. take 20 minutes to, to, to order, order that explain which beer that you wanted and why? <laughs> it, was it was like the scene out of when Harry met Sally. <laughs> it's not the orgasm scene, the ordering scene. You know, you know anyway. Um, right. Hey, um, just very quickly, you did mention we're going to tease John Hall. Um, next week, we're playing our interview with John Hall. Um, we're also dropping our first uh, Radio Brews News Revisited, um, going back to 2014, jumping in the Wayback Machine and playing the 2014 uh, podcast with John and looking out for a couple of uh, other you know old classics um, that, that are still have some relevance. and some Radio Brews News, greatest hits. Yeah, well, I wouldn't call we, it we greatest hits. We dig back hits. into the archives, we, we, we finger through the vinyl and we pick out some classics and... Uh, let you have a, a re-listen to them, or for you know, for those who you know have perhaps joined us recently, uh, they might not appreciate how good we are now. Uh, we're going to <laughs> give you some stuff to show you how shit we were back then, so that you can appreciate how much better we are now. No, the conversations were always good because the guests were good. Um, you know, the and that was the reason we split it into two podcasts because yeah. um, you know this news discussion where we waffle on. May not uh, be everyone's cup of tea. Fishing chip wrapper by by four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, um, so you don't have to wade through all of the nonsense just to get to the good stuff. That's it. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget: uh, drink fresh, drink local, drink less, but drink better, and stick your beer selfies up your ass. Um, that's it for this week. We'll see you all again next week. See you, Matt. Good on you, Prof. Mate, I, I don't know. We're going to get letters about that one. Oh, I, I, I keep getting invitations for, you know, come and join the beer selfie page. No, no, <laughs> stop sending them. And we're out.